You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. How are you today, guys? Hi. How's it going? Uh, I'll be honest with you. Ryan's stressed. <laughs> Ryan's stressed. You I am stressed it to me. out. You were stressed out, dude. I could tell there's a certain... You're so light and carefree. You're like oh, a, that's me. Yeah, a in a double mint uh, commercial. <laughs> uh, you're just... Uh, but you, you seem a little bit... Too much on your plate, I'm taking it. Too I'm much taking. on my plate. Uh, worried I might have over extended myself and just overcommitted. Why do you do that? I don't know, because uh, it sort of started, uh, I guess I was in a transitionary period of my life, and I was uh, accepting a lot of, I was sort of saying yes to all this stuff, and then uh, pandemic happened, and it all kept going. So for you, it was more like, you know, nice work when you can get it kind of thing, and yep. then all of a sudden, you're like, now I'm working too much, now I don't, yep. it's very hard to have that balance, and especially when you're sort of in a state of flux where you're uh, you're like, uh, you know, I'm yeah. doing Rosenbaum show, but I'm doing these other things. And now you add a couple more pieces and now you're like stressed out. You got a relationship. You got mm-hmm. all this stuff. You got to edit my show. Mm-hmm. We'll come, what takes priority my show. And, um, <laughs> you know, you start to go, well, you know, for instance, I got somebody who's editing my summertime neighbor video from the album. And he's like, hey, I got a few other projects. And I go, well, we're releasing this album soon. So I kind of need this, you know, done. He's like, oh, I didn't know the. I didn't know the urgency of it. So I guess the thing is... I'd say freelance editors right now got a lot of shit going on. Yeah, good for you. We have somehow, and uh, as much sympathy out to everyone who has not been working, because this is a terrible time, but I think freelance editors have been in constant demand. Well, hot damn, Ryan. (laughs) You know, nice work when you can get it. Careful what you wish for. Also, you're young, you're eager, you're smart, you're capable, and uh, I think you're going to be fine. And uh, yeah, I had one of those nights last night. I'm sure because I think you've had some of them too. Anxiety. Just couldn't sleep. (laughs) Just laid laid there, just couldn't do it. Well, I just got this stuff. I'll give you some my doctor gave me. It's not prescription, but it's uh, CBD and um, magnesium. And uh, boy, I really like it. It's just... uh, it worked last night, so I feel I feel a little bit tired today. But I'm, you know, overall it helps you sleep. Magnesium is something you should take. It helps you poop, too. Uh, we got a great uh, guest today. Before we get into that guest, I want to thank everybody, of course, for listening to the podcast. And if you're listening because you love Bob Saget or you're interested, I hope you hang around and you subscribe to the podcast. Ryan, tell them where they could subscribe. Uh, at Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Those are the handles, and you could also go on, on YouTube to subscribe. Oh, yeah, YouTube.com slash Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. YouTube.com slash Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. You could also go uh, to Apple Podcasts. And please write a review. Believe it or not, the algorithms and all that shit, it helps. And this is a, a, a show that just wants to grow. And I think people get something from it. Uh, I know I get something from it. Uh, it's therapy for me and therapy for all my friends and all my lovely patrons who keep this show afloat and lovely Westwood One. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, uh, Bryce. Thank you, everybody out there. Um, it's it's freaking February, and I can't believe a year has almost passed since this whole COVID thing. And, uh, you know, the end is near. I think the the, the light at the end of the tunnel is I, I could see it. It's flickering, and uh, I just want that fucking vaccine. <laughs> God, please. I have to take my grandmother at some point to get vaccinated. Good. My, my uh, grandmother just got vaccinated. She goes, Michael, I got vaccinated, both of them. Now I could do, still do nothing. Oh, that's good. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, all my friends are getting vaccinated, so hopefully we could play some poker. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's good. I'd love you to gamble as the first thing you do after COVID, because she does big bucks. 
She won, I think, $8 last time she played back. High in, stakes poker. Back in, oh, yeah. Man. Oh, man. Also, if you want to join the lovely Patreon group, all my lovely patrons who help support the show, there's a lot of tiers and, 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 and merch boxes I send to different ones, and you get to ask questions to guests, and that's Patreon. It's patreon.com slash inside of you, and it's a wonderful family, and I love uh, everyone that's a part of it. So thank you. But uh, also, uh, any merch you want from the Inside of You store, we've got everything from mugs and, and, and uh, T-shirts to tumblers and autographed Lex Luthor pictures. Yeah, I got them on here. I mean, I figure if you're going to get them, you might as well get them from the source. We got Smallville lunchboxes, a bunch of shit. So uh, anyway, without further ado, why don't we uh, get into Bob Saget? It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I have a couple questions. Is my signal okay? Because I got real low, uh, like uh, Spectrum might have a low thing. I could have them reboot my modem if you want to wait five. Or I think it's pretty good right now. If we go into a problem, then I'll have them do it. All right. Cause I, and I'm hardwired, if you know what I'm saying. You're, I, all I got was hard. I, didn't, I couldn't get oh, the last. Oh, my grandmother. Are you not? And, and everything else seems good? With my life? Yeah, yeah I guess we, yeah. <laughs> it, it, your life seems good. I saw you on Sam Rubin. You got to be doing good. I mean, if you're on Sam Rubin, KTLA5, you, your life couldn't be better. He and I go to the same cleaners, Fazio's. <laughs> and so we see each other there. And when we go, when I go on there, which I do a couple times a year, all we try to talk about is Fazio's cleaners. We do like an ad for Fazio's, and then I get into what my business is. Has business gone up since at Fazio's? Uh, not really. I mean, COVID <laughs> doesn't help because who's you know dry cleaning? It's like where are you going? What what gala are you going to? <laughs> He's got more energy. I wonder if he does. Uh, I mean, he doesn't probably, but. I mean, his coffee. I think he does Red Bull, maybe. I don't know. Maybe a Red Bull. I know he's not, he's not on stuff. He's not like one of our uh, political official. No. <laughs> hey, really that's quick. a hard job to get up early in the morning and be 104 and then go serve on the Supreme Court. Nothing <laughs> nothing makes me more anxious than thinking. Sometimes you, you meet other people that have you know, obviously different jobs, and you're like, I could never do this. I could never be an, a morning on-air person, or even on-air, because I know I will F- I, will, I can I can say fuck, but I'll hey, say. You get, you get, can I swear on my own podcast? On your podcast, right? I think so. I think I do. But you're not sure. Well, you know, I, I try not to f too many times. Me too, and and the reason is weird, but like I just had Mark Maron on, and we couldn't help it. I mean, and and certain comedians egg me on because they know I'll do it. I mean, if they go there, <laughs> that's the whole point of like the aristocrats. I didn't want to do that, but they like egg me on, and that's like. Oh, finally, I'm popular in high school. Oh, I can out F you. you know? <laughs> I can out F you. You know, we met. Uh, we didn't we, meet. Oh, we, we've known each other for a while. And I always miss that we are not closer, that we haven't seen each other more. Now, of course, in quarantine, we're all sappy. And all, we, oh, man, bro, <laughs> when this is over, we're going to go. We're going to be. And we're going to F you. We're, we're going to F each other. And it's going to be so much better. <laughs> But go ahead. What were you saying? I'm sorry. Well, we didn't meet at this particular place, but we have mutual friends. One of your closest friends is Jonathan Silverman, who we love. Love him so much. Love and he, him so and much. you guys are incredibly close. Yeah, he's a great guy. You know, you know, since he's you know he's married now and with a, with a kid, 
it's like when you see each other, you're like, oh, you know, but you get it. It's one of those things you don't miss a beat. But uh, I know you guys are incredibly close. And we went out one night because you were friends, I believe, with this singer that I love from the 70s, 80s, Stephen Bishop. I love Stephen Bishop. Oh, we went to that guitar shop. It was wasn't it your connection? Didn't you know Stephen yeah, Bishop? Yeah, I know Stephen, and and I just think he's you know on and on. You he know, just keeps that's my up. that's my choir boy. That's a priest touched voice. Oh God, you know he sang that song from Tootsie. Something's telling me it might be Jews. It might be Jews. It, that's what they're going to come back to. It always is going to come back to that. And you put the. You kept the Rosenbaum. I mean, you got a double threat because Rosen, they already know you're Jewish. And then Baum's just adding Berg, you know, or Ring. You know, you're you're messed up at Ellis Island. You're you're they're going to come for you. I think so. I think they are. I was Zagat or Zogat. So we don't know my roots. Really? But you are a Jew. I am a Jew. I'll show you, but I'd have to stand. (laughs) Um, But you are a very proud Jew. And I remember... I remember all of our conversations and we might've been partying too. It might've been that time. It was where we were. And I know that your unit is larger than most babies legs. What? No, wrong. You got the wrong guy. No, no. You were bragging it. You were, you were, you were talking about it. It might've been that we were going through this cancel culture now kind of faux time of, uh, of pretending that, that we're gay. Um, and uh, well, I was, but um, but the point is that that was kind of the comedy, and now it's just I don't want to hurt anybody. You're helping people. I'm trying to help people, and I don't want to hurt. And and I don't even understand why I was that immature and that. But that's what we did. That's what we would do. And I did it with my gay friends. That doesn't help you. That doesn't get you out of it. Well, you, you know, know, I think it's funny because, you know, we're, we're obviously I'm I'm flawed as can be. And the more I embrace that and the more I talk about it, the better I feel. It's just like the, you know, that makes you non-flawed because you're working on it. And um, I mean, do you, you I'm sure you see a shrink or you talk to somebody on on the uh, the Zoom or, or yeah, FaceTime. you know, I do, because I think that, you know, I, I come from a family that, you know, my my dad doesn't believe in that stuff. He doesn't, you know, you know, you don't talk about his feelings and things like that. And I just think he's just very. Your dad's British. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He but, you know, he was just this guy that just didn't. You know, I never saw him cry until which was really emotional where I lost my sister. Um and I know you can relate to that, but uh, yeah, I've lost I've lost two of them. So I'll see you and I'll raise you. You raise me a sister. Well, I'd like to raise her, but she's not, she's not going to look good. I mean, her <laughs> hair is probably going to leak like Giuliani's, you know. <laughs> see, this is how I get through it, this, Michael. This... I do go to a shrink. I have for saved my life, literally saved my life. When did you start and going? I, I heard you talk. I've heard you talk about this. You talked about it a lot, actually, of when you hit that moment where you just are you, you're can't do anything you cannot function you you get to a point where you're i couldn't fill out not that i and i have a travel agent but i couldn't i want i like to book myself sometimes i have pleasure in knowing that i booked it and everything's right i'm a control freak i could not put my name into american airlines just to type my name and then i called two friends who've been begging me to go to a shrink i had another shrink before that didn't work out right but um and that's another danger for people but it i was stunted completely i, I was this recently stopped. recently no this is like 10 years ago 
eight years ago. And it's because I know you lost your mom and dad in the last t- 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you also lost your sister many years ago. Or what, how many years ago? I lost two sisters. I lost one in 1994 from scleroderma, which is hardening of the skin. And it's similar to COVID that your lungs fail. Um, I usually always say, please hold your laughs till the end when I talk about that. <laughs> and my other sister, uh, I was like 26 years old, and she died at 34 of a brain aneurysm. And she went through some real tragic mental health stuff. And, and there were people that didn't help her. She was, uh, you know, a bit of a victim of people. And you were, you wait, you were 26 when that happened. Yeah. And yeah, at 26, you'd already had lost two sisters. No, I lost the second one later. I lost the other. So that one, I was 26. I don't know how old I was. I'm 64. So, Oof. uh, let's see 20. Oh, 26 was 84. So, uh, I know that because I just posted my first appearance on uh, the Rodney Dangerfield Young Comedian Special. It's the only way I know any time. That's how narcissistic I am wow. as far as my IMDb goes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you talk about this stuff, and I, I didn't want to get into this stuff right away. I mean, I was going to slowly maybe get into it. But, like, I mean, you're, you're an open book like me, and you've always been sort of open and just, like, very well, generous. you started with saying you're a sister. So what happened to your sister? Well, my sister passed. She's 15. She was born with a chromosomal disease, trisomy 13, I believe. It's a rare thing. And, and <sighs> so she was pretty much on her deathbed from birth. And so she's lived in children's hospital in a children's, for, for her life. And she couldn't walk. She couldn't really talk. It was just she was there and this poor, helpless soul. And so there was those those days where you're when you pray, you pray, please, like, you know, you want her to pass away in a very uh, sort of just selfless way, more of like a just give her yeah. peace. And so when it finally happened after all those years, you think that, uh, you know, it'd be more of a relief. Now, for my father, she died in his arms. It was. I mean, I've never heard my father cry ever. I'm 48 years old and hearing him so emotional on the phone, I broke down. I was like, whoa, what's going on? And I was just like, "Uh, you know, I I love you, dad. And he's like, I love you, too. And I was like, what? This has never happened. It was just so it was good. It was cathartic. I hate to say it, but through tragedy uh, is what brings people together. And that yeah. I'm really sorry about your sister. I mean, yeah. what a horrible, what Thank a horrible you. life she had to live. And yet she, did she, she probably had a pretty unusual attitude about it. I would think. Well, I think she just was, you know, I hate to say, but she was sort of just there and she had great doctors and nurses who loved oh, her. So and, she wasn't uh, coherent mentally. Really? Not really. Not. I mean, she was, you know, she could, she noticed people recognized people and would, but couldn't really, so it's different. I mean, you had someone in your life, these two sisters, where you're they were a part of your life and they were active and all these things. And then one day you get a call and then something happens. You're like, she's gone. Just like that, right? The, when the brain aneurysm. Well, one was instant. The brain aneurysm. I was in Detroit doing stand-up and I got a call and my mom called me and told me. And it happened in her sleep. And we're not sure what happened. We're, we'll never be sure. And then, um what do you do though? What, 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 I mean, are you just, I, I did two shows that night in Detroit and I was in shock and now I know better. You don't do the shows, but I did two shows in Detroit at the comedy castle and I, um, didn't get any laughs. They knew something was wrong with me. I was just going through a recital of stand up, and I'm a guy who functions on being present and 
when I do stand-up since my beginnings 43 years ago because I'm 120. <laughs> I'm a sequoia. But <laughs> but I, I did the shows, and the only laugh that I got was from me when the, I heard in the club the ice machine dropped like 50 pounds of ice as it was making it. And I said, oh, there's my sister. Oh, and, my God. And the audience just stared at me. Now, today, if I had a show-must-go-on mentality, it depends. You know, if I don't know. I, I might cancel or I might not, depending on who the person is and if I'm able to function. Um, but I, I don't function well. with. I was doing a show with Rebel Wilson called Super Fun Night. And I came in to play her boss and they said, if this goes good, we want to have you on all the time. I said, well, whatever you guys want. I mean, I love Rebel. And before I go in to do my, the scene I've been working on, the one one thing that was the monologue, which was a tongue twister. Um, and it was, it was complex to, you had to memorize it. It wasn't something you could learn. Right. And I get a call from the car and my mother goes, Bobby, I'm in the doctor's office. I've had a um, an endoscope and a what and a, and a uh, I go back into my voice. It's, it's, I'm Anthony. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. I'm Anthony Perkins. You're thinking in your yeah. She had she had the uh, uh, colonoscopy at the same time they put the camera down her throat, so the two cameras kind of met in the middle and wanted to tickle each other, but they couldn't because she was riddled with tumors. Um, I don't know why they say riddle. It sounds like she's a Batman villain or something. <laughs> yeah, riddle me this cancer. And um, so right before I'm about to go shoot this scene, she uh, says, and I've decided to to not get chemo or radiation. I'm going to go into hospice in a, in a couple weeks. And I said, Mom, I, why did, why, what? And, and this happened literally before I was to go to camera. So then I'm sitting in an office. I can't remember one thing. I can't remember anything. I had complete flop sweat. It was, and Rebel was there trying to help me. And I, I just couldn't do it. So what I did was I joked with the crew and I ate up about an hour of their time, just riffing about my mom has cancer. And they were laughing, but they were watching like a guy have a breakdown because what? I mean, you know, if you're going to die, mom, at least let me get my shots done. You know, <laughs> I had coverage to do. And, um, and it's so, but other times, I guess you don't, I was with, I was opening for Frankie Valley in the four seasons when his daughter died of a drug overdose. And that's what Jersey boys is based on. I was opening for Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons that night. And that's what Bobby wrote, uh, Jer Jersey Boys, Jerky Boys, Jersey Boys and, and Frankie. And it changed Frankie's career and gave him the full, you know, resurgence and appreciation. I was literally opening for him. And I said, right before he went on, I was right near him. I'm always drawn to people that are hurting for some reason. I went like, what's, I'm the opening act. I'd opened for him once before. Why am I standing next to this guy? And, uh, and I said, I'm really sorry. I lost my sister. And at that time I had lost the one that was 26 at that 30, when I was 26 and she was 34. And, and I said, I'm really sorry. And he looked up and he went, thank you. Thank you, Bob. And then he opens the door and he sings walk like a man. Uh, and so there is a show must go on mentality, but how long ago did you lose your sister? Uh, a couple months ago, two months ago. 
Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, but back to you. It's one of those things where you say, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden you get the call and then it's almost like you go into uh, cruise control. It's almost like, uh, right. maybe that's not the right word, but you sort of kind of go on. It's autopilot. autopilot, autopilot, cruise control, autopilot, whatever you want. No, uh, it's cruise control. That's fine. But you, you just somehow just go and maybe that it's, it's shock and you go through it. But I couldn't imagine having to do a monologue or a TV show or like, you know, I, I think I've prayed before, like, please don't die while I'm filming. Yeah. Wait till I'm done. It's so selfish. Please. Have you had it happen? No, because I just, I don't think I could handle it. I don't think I'm wired. Maybe now I'm a little, the wiring's a little better, but back when I was, you know, doing shows early on and I was young, I was so lost and scattered and hadn't gone to therapy that I was, you were, uh, Lex Luthor on Smallville, you had not gone to therapy? No, I hadn't gone to therapy, and boy, did I need it, because I noticed that my family around me were so highly dysfunctional that I'm like, oh, I'm the normal one. But little did I know, you're not. You are getting all this around you, and it's just inside, and it's building and building, and, and you're you're going to blow. You know. That's why I was drawn to you, because there's a similar energy in a shark that doesn't stop moving. It's like you have a strength about you. Um, I was doing two shows, going out of my mind, went through a divorce during the end of Full House, and I was still doing the video show. That's bad. Divorce is bad. Have you been married? No. Again. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing. I mean, it says locals only on your shirt, well, so you- <laughs> I think that would mean you just got to be around. Well, you just, got, you just got married again, second time. Yeah, two years ago, and she is uh, fantastic. She's upstairs and she said i have a facetime business meeting don't come in and i went this is perfect well this do you, is, you know, when were you divorced the first time 23 years ago 20 and do you, was there a long time we were, we were married 14 years and we've been divorced 23 years and we talk wow. pretty much every day so you're best friends well it's we are definitely friends after the first 10 years we were not friends it, it was a lot of pain and I had guilt. I had three young children when I split up. But four, seven, and nine were my three daughters at the time. And I tried the best I could do. I was with people would say, "Oh, do you do you ever see your children?" I went, "What? Do you ever see your children?" You know, because they were with their mom. And if I'm not off doing a movie or something, or I went and directed that year, so I flew my kids to Toronto. But it would be every one week, mom, one week, dad, and it would sometimes it would be you know, Thursday to Monday with dad, I drive him to school, I pick him up, you know, you, you love kids and you drive them. Um, <laughs> but now we actually are friends because we, we, but that's, it's 23 years later. Right. You know? Yeah. But you got to think like, I think this at, at a 40, as a 48 year old and many years before that, but like, you know, and, and knowing you a little bit, I, I get a sense that maybe like me, you, at some point, right in the last 23 years of you said you were single, were there moments where you look in the mirror and go, you, my friend, are going to be alone for the rest of your life? I was positive. I had a, uh, you've had girlfriends, I know that. Yeah. And what's the longest running uh, relationship? Probably three had? years. That's a lot. I had a two and a half year, I think. Um, and then it got close to either ending or not ending. And then when you know uh, i got cheated on i realized oh this is probably not gonna work um <laughs> oh god but, yeah but it, you know karma i don't know I, that's the worst thing is cheating is the worst thing because some people are good at it you know some people you can you can 
just do it and not care. I don't have that Tony Soprano kind of mentality. I, I, I just, I can't lie. I can't cover all the lying. It's enough lying. I can't, I got too much to do to have the bandwidth to keep the lie floating with everyone. And everybody knows anyway. I mean, people can tell anyway, it's like, so silly. Do you think you're healthier with someone? Like if you have someone consistently and you're not thinking about other girls or anything, does that help your life with uh, sort of your routine and things? Well, what's this part about not thinking about other girls? I don't understand what language you're speaking. Yeah, that's uh, that's impossibility. But like, for instance, you know, being single or dating and, and this, it's kind of like a pain in the ass. It's kind of like oh, it's horrific. It's horrific. And in, age, and in the age of this quarantine we've been through coming out of, uh, we will, we will. Um, I, I love my wife, so I'm not, I'm not effing this up as they <laughs> say in the podcast accessible world for, for the kids today, I'm not effing this up for the seven year old is listening. His parents are splitting up and arguing all the time because they're, they can't get out of the house <laughs> yeah. or they went and partied in Miami and the kid doesn't know where his parents are. And then they come home all coked up and partied out <laughs> because they didn't. We don't wear no mask. And then dad's in the hospital. <laughs> I still don't believe it. F this mask. Oh, my God. Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. If you want to save money, listen up. <laughs> I don't know how, how to tell you this other than this really works. Ryan went through this. Mm-hmm. We have so many unwanted subscriptions that we forget we have. And, uh, you know, there's so many apps nowadays that we just get lost. And, you know, I'm not very app savvy. And, you know, I'll watch a streamer. And then the next thing I know, I forget that I just watched one show and I'm still subscribed to this after six months. With Rocket Money, they take care of you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Why don't you say... Did you know that nearly 75% and end at... Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Yeah, I'm one of those people, Ryan. And between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I could see all of my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. I love the dashboard and how it shows me this month's spending compared to last month. I like doing that. Uh, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions. That's simply astonishing. Saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. I just sent some of this to my mother and she's starting to notice the differences. Hmm. 
in herself. And, she, and because I noticed my mother was always had brain fog and and she couldn't think clearly. And, and you know, and, and I, I was like, well, this stuff works for me. And what's great is I didn't even they weren't even a sponsor when I started using this. Um, have you heard of Synaletics yet? Well, listen, it's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why I use Qualia Senolytic. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, hello, sluggish mental and physical energy, hello, associated with that middle age feeling, hello. Also known as zombie cells, they are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senoletic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And they must believe in their product because they have a 100-day money-back guarantee. It's pretty amazing. I felt higher energies. Uh, I feel uh, more focused. Um, younger. I have to say, because a lot of these things make me feel younger. I feel more uh, productivity happening in my life, a little more enthusiastic. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senoletic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I look at you as a young kid. Where you, I mean, obviously you were you were. I look at you as a young kid too, which means when this is over, we're going to be we're going to be effing. No, but like when you're young, I mean, did people? Your parents always look at you like, were you an extrovert? Were they like this? There's something special about Bob. Bob's naturally funny he's so quick he's so this even when you went to college i read something where somebody was like no uh you're gonna do something and they're like no you need to be in the entertainment industry at a young yeah. age boy you really researched me and I, I know things about you too i know all your measurements um <laughs> tell me i need but, a new coat <laughs> yeah i had a teacher i was gonna go pre-med at some university and i had a teacher who passed away who was this great lady and she said to me uh, don't become a doctor the joke is I became a comedian and I said, she, she saved thousands of lives. It's a joke. You know? <laughs> it's so true. Cause I would have, I would have killed, if I had killed one person or if I had known someone died on my watch and I couldn't save them, I don't think I could have survived that. And that that's where I understand how a doctor not has a holier than thou attitude, but an attitude of um, a little bit of, they close themselves off emotionally a little bit because they have to protect themselves. Otherwise you just lose it every time you lose a patient, which is the worst. There must be, think of all this shit going on right now, man. There must be so many people in pain over not being able to help people. Yeah. Could you have been yeah, a doctor but, though? But I, I went to film school instead. Could you have been a doctor though? Do you honestly, all joking aside, do you think if you, she wouldn't have said anything and you went to pre-med, 
Do you think you would have been able to figure it out and become a good doctor? I did pre-med for one semester and I couldn't do calculus or chemistry or biology. I couldn't do it. I just like, I knew potassium was K and iron was FE, <laughs> you know, I held on to that from junior high. I knew a ripple tank, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I could do surgery, but not, uh, not through having a degree. But did you think you were going to be, did you think you were going to be famous? <laughs> Some people think they're going to be famous. Some people, you know, they have that feeling of like, I, I honestly did it, at the end of college. I just remember I'm going to go and I'm going to make it. I don't know why, but I really innately, it wasn't like me bullshitting. I just knew it. Did you know what, it? I, I didn't. What college did you go to? Well, I went to Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Okay. And did you study theater? I did. Did a lot of plays and I just felt like uh, things were starting to go. People were... I just felt at some point I was getting the roles, I was getting some attention, and I and I felt like I finally, you know, found what I can do. There was nothing else really, and you've heard the actor story. It's like when I was a character, I didn't have to be me. I wasn't comfortable. I still am not necessarily comfortable being me. So being someone else was easier. Did so, right? But what about you? Uh, Did you? Uh, with me, I started writing songs, serious songs, like 60 songs, and I'd copyright them and send them to the Library of Congress when I was 14. But I started making eight millimeter movies when I was nine. So I have 60 hours of eight millimeter movies and uh, 60 songs. That's Where can we hear these songs? The songs are the worst songs ever. Come on. You have 60. Anyone? There's got to be no. one or two. I'm 16. Here's one. When I was a boy, I wished I would get older. When I was a youth, I was going to be a soldier. But now I look back. Now I've got my dream. It's a guy, a 16-year-old, talking about like he's been in Vietnam. Because the Vietnam War was going on. I'm 18 years old. I want to live to 90. The battlefield is cold. My past is left behind me. Anybody that writes that should be put in jail. You, I, I, by the way, hang on. Stop. You use the word youth. That's that's what got me. The fact that you threw in youth. I don't think yeah, I've ever. Because <laughs> I was so wise at 16. I missed the draft for Vietnam. I had they called my number, but I was one year younger than that number being called. So I would have been in Vietnam. And I had a cousin that went and he ended up getting sprayed by Agent Orange. And then his rest of his life was getting deteriorated from a war that was wrong. I don't know if you heard, but it was wrong. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that from some people. But I don't know. I won a radio contest. Things just happened to me. It wasn't like I, and I never wanted to be famous. I never looked at that. I wanted to be with the best people. I wanted to be with people that I was attracted to artistically, even though I didn't know I could be an artist or I didn't know I would be saying I thought I was one. But I would go sneak in to see Don Rickles at the Latin Casino in, in New Jersey. I saw Martin Mull. I'm working on a documentary about him right now. And I saw him at the main point, which is where Springsteen and Jackson Brown used to play in Philly area out in the, uh, on the main line. And um, Martin Mull was just doing comedy songs and he was, he was kind of a genius, you know, and then he did Fernwood tonight. I don't know if you remember that, but it was an amazing show. We're, we're paying tribute to him. And you would know him from a, a lot of other stuff. Oh, I know him from Mr. Mom. Yeah, Mr. Mom and uh, Roseanne. <laughs> yeah, of course. Sabrina for the youngins yeah. and uh, the youngins that are oldens. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it's 
interesting the influences don rickles was a big influence rodney was a big influence what tell me about rodney i want to hear continue but i gotta hear about rodney he's my friend that's a picture of rodney behind me with red fox right there oh two of the best having a convo um it, it it's really um weird because i mean and that's on my instagram right now i posted it uh and it's it's my set from the Young Comedian special on HBO when I was 26 in 1984. And Rodney really loved me. And I only had, he, I met him in La Jolla at the comedy store and he came in and he was at La Costa to clean up because he had, uh, you know, been, he's a partier. You know, he loved pot. I'm going to smoke it every day of my life, man. I don't care who knows it. <laughs> and and he, uh, he comes to the club with two ladies on each, a lady on each arm. And he goes, oh, man, I saw you on Merv Griffin, man. You got a good head. You're Jewish. You're, you're, I have to curse. <laughs> you got okay? a good head. You're Jewish. All okay. right. You, How you, are you? I, I have to curse. You. Well, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, no you, curse. You, what the hell are you doing? Okay. Yeah. You went, you're, you're Jewish. You're fucked up. You're never going to be happy. You're, 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 you know, you're, you, your mind can't stop working. You don't sleep. I, and my joke was a new friend, you know. Um, and, and then he hung out with me all weekend for three days. Rodney was everywhere. And, he just, we, he saw himself in me and always liked to help young comedians. But on this young comedian special, I had three minutes and 45 seconds, but I'd done a 15 minute set. And I introduced him to Sam Kennison. And I also got Sam his first spot at the comedy store. And so I had a closeness with Sam in the beginning of after he was done being a faith healer and wanted to be a comedian. Right. And obviously we see what happened with him. Um, <laughs> and tragically his ending and rodney i said why did i only have three three minutes and 45 seconds because i was you know i had a really great set he went can't help it man i sam sam crushed man i went well <laughs> I, I did pretty good and he went sam oh man sam i was like okay <laughs> you know he always rejected <laughs> by somebody so he was oh god he was he was so funny so he comes in he goes man I don't know how I'm doing this. This is the comedy store in La Jolla. He goes, no booze, no Coke, no pot, no pills. I don't know how I'm doing it. And I went, wow, that's a comedic sentence without even effort. Was you know? he a lonely guy? Did you feel like you ever, like, hey, Bob, yeah. come hang out with me? Well, I would hang out with him, but he also married Joan. And so I would see her and, um, and you know, he has two wonderful kids. Uh, I don't see Brian or talk to Brian. Occasionally I talk to Melanie. I owe her a call, Melanie Roy, because Rodney's name was Roy. Jack Roy. Right. And before that, it was Jacob Cohen. And um, so he went through a lot of incarnations to try to survive. Well, he had a lot of problems with his father, right? I read the book and he, uh, really he always wanted her. to get approval, which I could understand. I always wanted my father to be proud. I always wanted, you know, he wanted, wanted love. And when I read that, it made me cry because I, I thought I just want to make my dad happy. I just want to make him, you know, like me. And and I, when I, I saw that other someone else went through that, it just, I, you know, you get that feeling like, oh, he's, that's kind of like me. I get it. I get it. Did, did he ever talk to you about that? Yeah, actually, we talked about a lot of stuff. But real quick, I just want to ask you, after you lost your sister recently, have you and your dad somehow gotten a little closer through this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We it's it's been a little bit better over the last couple of years because my grandfather had Alzheimer's. So and, I, and I've talked about that on the show, but he, uh, you know, he's he's tried. He's like, you know, I always I don't hold grudges. I really forgive everyone for you know, you know, life goes on, and you're like, okay, what kind of relationship do I want? I, I don't. And never was really close, but had you know, so 
you don't want to set yourself up for disaster. You don't want to get close to someone who's just going to crush you every time. So you got to stay away from that. There's a, there's a thin line. So if you see potential in someone and they're trying, I always say keep people at arm's length until you're really sure that you can open up more. And so he definitely tried. I could see some effort in him that just, uh, you know, and I think you know, he went through a lot of stuff. And I think sometimes people think because they're going through stuff that they could act a certain way or do certain things. And, um, you know, I just sort of, it was, if we didn't talk about sports, there wasn't really anything else to talk about. Hey, how about the Mets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They suck. Yeah, right. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Or I'll talk to you next if week. If you do what a lot of us do is figure out, consider the source, what was his situation. So we assume his father didn't ever hug him. And, and Well, him I, we're love, getting to right? that, you know. We're getting to that. In fact, I think I might be doing your podcast. Is that true? You are. You're. We're doing it the the trading podcast things because I can't stop talking to you. Well, I, I love it. I mean, it, it, to me, it's like well, now it, it's been years. And last time we were out, we were, we were both. Uh, well, actually, that was the Stephen Bishop night. That Stephen you were, Bishop you were night. mellow then. We, I was mellow. It was uh, it was Stephen Bishop. It was Stephen Bishop. And, <laughs> and you know what song I loved is the one from Italy. Little uh, Italy. Separate Lives. Oh, separate that, lives, that's the one that Phil Collins made famous. Yeah. I don't know if is it from a movie. I'm not. I don't know if it is. Yes. I don't think it is. Yes, it won a it won a Grammy, I believe. But it but but was it? It was from. I'm looking at the same time you are because it's such. It's one of the prettiest songs. Um, just wondering what movie. Um, uh, I'm looking right now. Oh, White Nights was the most. White picture. Nights. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Right. It wasn't a giant movie. No. But it, you know, you have no right. It's the perfect breakup song. You have no right to ask me how I feel. You have no right to speak to me so kind. Someday I might find myself looking in your eyes. But for now, no. But for now, we'll go on living separate lives. And that is, that's just gut-wrenching. Because yeah. that's about finding love and then losing love. And then there's still hope that one day maybe I'll be looking in your eyes. Um, and it's just, there was a time during... Um, Divorce is hard, and especially when there's kids. And there were times during other breakups where everybody has their music mix, you know, and they go to old standbys or new ones. And that that was one of them. I literally played it on a loop for 24 hours. Why do we <laughs> torture ourselves? We do that. I've talked in therapy about that. When we're sad, we, we want to get sadder. We want we want to play saved by zero by the fix a hundred times in a row and feel rock bottom. And, and, and we, it, it's almost like, like relatability or whatever. Like, you know, when you hear someone else going through, you're like, you just want some hey, kind of connection. Alone. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the other thing is if you're manic depressive and you really need medical attention because you're God forbid suicidal, then you have to seek help. You just have to call your doctor or call 911 or whatever. But if if you're doing it the way I did it, because I'm, I was more OCD. I still am a bit, but um, you know, to to go into the sadness as deep as you can. You know, this it's one of the first rules of therapy, and my acting teacher taught it to me, Daryl Hickman, in 1982. Uh, the only way to get uh, to to get through something is to to go through it. You have to go through. You have to go through it. You have to feel it. So I probably like yourself and a lot of people. We want to feel things, and once you're sad, if you can go as sad as you can go, and as I get older, it's much easier. I can process it in 
hours rather than what took me at, at 29 years old. I was depressed the whole year. So I didn't even want to live at 29 years old. I didn't care if a plane crashed with me on it. And, I, and then I would look around at the people on the plane. I go, oh, they don't seem so happy either. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, uh, have you ever uh, taken anything? Have you ever been on an antidepressant or anything like that? No, I've taken stuff to help sleep, not Ambien, but I was on that for a little bit, but that's the devil's uh, pill. The Ambien, when Ambien first came out, I'd be on flights and I'd watch a guy on Ambien and he'd be moving around like some slow motion, weird Smeagol type character trying to get something out of his carry bag. It's not his bag. He's movie streaming, dreaming and moving and eating and eating and eating. And then I realized I'm, I'm off of this stuff because I'm not going to do that <laughs> in public or in front of my kids. I mean, you just think that with all the shit you've been through, especially with all the loss that there might've been a time in your life. Where you're like, I just need help. I can't feel this low all the time. I need something to, you know, did you exercise? Did you, what was it that you did? I that exercised a lot. Um, I'm trying to do better now. I recently lost about 10 pounds because um, I, I, I took a crap and ejaculated <laughs> at the same time. So it was in a, five pounds each side. That was a giant load. Good, good for it you. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I've been building up and my wife has helped me stay <laughs> quite well. I'll never have prostate cancer. He said, knock on, knock on wooden nuts. <laughs> Hey, let me ask you, uh, you, so you look, very few people have the success you had. Now I know you're self-deprecating and all this shit and you. I'm self-defecating. I self stand on my head in the shower and poop. Self-evacuating. But you, uh, I mean, you did a show that was, was stood the test of time. People remember that show forever. I mean, you've talked about it ad nauseum and all these things. Do you like on full house and then America's Funniest? I mean, you had two shows that lasted what? 10 years each? Eight, eight years each. Eight years each. Nobody has that. Very few well, yeah, people. Yeah, they do. Seinfeld, Friends. But very few. Big Bang. Did you enjoy? Everybody loves Raymond. Were you always the guy on Cheer, set that cheers. everybody enjoyed? You're talking about a small. Sims, the Simpsons. Okay, I'll, I'll start naming shows. Family First of all, <laughs> every pilot that doesn't make it to series. But did you, did you, do you remember, do you look back and recall it was just all easy and fun and I liked everybody or was it like, yeah, it was kind of like a family and sometimes it was dysfunctional and I wanted to kill the kids and I wanted to fucking smack Stamos in his pretty face? Or was it all just fun and loving or was it like sometimes a pain in the ass? Um, I've always had love for all people, but I, Dave Coulier used to say about me, if you're very, very quiet somewhere in the world, you can hear Bob complaining. <laughs> You know, so that's just... Uh, Did you complain a lot? I, I complain. Well, actors, as you know, complain if they're working or not working. So, you know, Full House was a gift. I, I got fired from a CBS morning show. They fired me, and, and then I found out Jeff Franklin, the exec producer, still wanted me to be Danny Tanner on Full House. It's funny, Danny Tanner to me is like saying a curse word. So, <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to Danny Tanner her. Um <laughs> But I grew into loving it more and more. I was so lucky to get the job and wanted it so bad to be on a sitcom. It wasn't to be famous. I just wanted to act and be on a sitcom and get do get laughs. And money. People. Get money. And, and the money is something that really did a lot. It gives you stuff for your kids. And, uh, and then um, the video show happened not even a year later. We did a pilot. And then it, it beat a 60 Minutes rerun. And then ABC ordered 13. And 
it was that when I was writing, doing the voiceovers, like my mother's voice, look out, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Want to be Mel Blanc, uh, people don't know as Bugs Bunny and Tweety Bird. Every Warner Brothers character was just one man, this genius. So I copied him in doing voiceovers of a dog pushing a rock. So it's funny. My, I, I didn't always appreciate it. And now I completely do and understand sure. what it is. And I like doing family stuff. People go like, you oh, know, Saget, come on, be the Saget, you know, be the entourage, you know, be that motherfucker. And I'm like, you know, I, okay, but this isn't appropriate to do that at this thing. You know, sometimes right. I've done giant gigs where I'm performing in front of 10,000 people. And that I often don't go to the very blue, depending on who the audience is. Right. So you gauge um, your audience at this point in your career for many years now, you, you know when you what audience you have. I'm sure in the beginning there were some audiences like I read them wrong, but now you know, really know how to read an audience. You're like, okay, this oh, is. I, what I know are. right away, and I know if it's my problem or I've done a couple of things since February. I did one event, which was I did a small thing for my friend Tom Papa. He did a thing on a soundstage, and and then I it was like ten comics and. It was kind of like Largo in a warehouse in Burbank. I did 10 minutes and I got out and everybody had masks and socially distant far from each other. And then I went to Chappelle's summer camp, which was a dream that I, I, I wanted to stay longer and they had to shut it down. But, um, and that was pretty amazing. I got the camaraderie that I haven't had in a long time. We're all going through something together and it was, you know, it was Louis C.K. and Chris Tucker and Darnell and Michelle Wolf and Dave Chappelle and and 400 people in a cornfield in Ohio. You know, it was really special. I really um, loved it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside.
Inside of you is brought to you by Shopify. You know I use Shopify. You guys go on the, you know, inside of you online store and you see how easy it is to navigate for you. It's so amazing. Shopify, I can't think of anyone else that would do this uh, the right way like Shopify does. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. It's so easy to navigate. And when you want to add discounts, like for instance, I just had a discount where I put uh, Michael 15, and that was my discount code. How much of a percent? 15% off the total order. Easy. Adding products. It's so easy. You put a picture. You just upload a picture. You put a description. It, it, it does everything for you. And the analytics are so easy to use. Uh, this is the most selling product. Oh, I should get more of those. This is the least selling product. This is how much I made for this month compared to last year or last month. It's so easy to navigate. I feel like a pro and Shopify has really helped me do that. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. You know, I think I feel I could bring this up to you because most people probably can't bring it up to you, but you and I share something in common is we both went both did a long sh a show that lasted a long time with someone who got in trouble i have someone who is uh you know allison uh she's you know she was part of that nexium thing and she's being tried and uh, she probably will get sentenced to prison time and i didn't even know that yeah she and i worked with her for seven years and it was kind of like holy shit why well, you know and so obviously Lori Laughlin, you I mean, you, I'm sure you were close with her. Was this a big surprise uh, to you? I, I, I love her. I love her. And, you know, I've been asked it a lot. I'm so, oh, you have. Oh, you have. Yeah, oh, I've gotten whittled down. Uh, but You're tired but of it. You know, I just love her. And so that's, uh, I don't know. I'd like, to, I'd like to see a lot of other people doing time. <laughs> there's a lot worse people in the I world. Don't know I, I don't know. Because we're in such a place where no matter what i say i'm screwed you know and and i just love her that, and yeah. um so that's that's where i am on that but i know more people than that that have been canceled literally canceled their careers have been canceled due to um you know uh cancel culture things that had to do with real serious stuff like underage girls and stuff like that and they're you know, last year was a lot of stand-ups just got, and actors. I mean, look what happened. I mean, it, it, it was, it's, um, and a lot of it um, had no court trial, but it was like, it was done and done. You know, Twitter can destroy you. You can destroy yourself on Twitter. 
Right. I could write a tweet right now that could literally shut me down right now. It's so easy. Isn't that something? And I did a joke in, in 1984 on this clip, this on this Rodney Dangerfield special. And I was 26 years old and I had a joke and I, I apologized for it on posting on Instagram because they said, you can cancel me for this. And the joke was, um, I never got to go to camp because my mom thought I got embarrassed and dressing in front of little boys, but I kind of like it now. And then I would go, no, that's not true. I like it a lot. No, that's not true. I'm not a senator. So <laughs> at that time, some senator had been caught with a minor. So that's not a joke I could do right now. And yet, if I tried to do something like that, I would tee it up for five minutes. Then you get, you know, a 10 second laugh and then people wince and then you got to do another three minutes to dig out of that. So what's the point? That's not but a the joke point anymore. of the joke. If you're smart enough or not even that smart is that you're getting to the point of the Senator. You're almost speaking from them. You're not saying you would do this. You're like, you know, no, I, mean? I did say in that joke that I like getting undressed in front of little boys now, but then I would say that's not true. So what does it leave you with? It leaves you with something where there are so many heinous things that have happened since from the priesthood to Boy Scouts. Who thought the Boy Scouts would go through this? You know, mm. it's it's just, uh, you know, when your group leader says, tie a slipknot on my penis, Jimmy, you know, that's not that's not what you're in there for. Um, <laughs> now, that could get me canceled because it's tragic. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to apologize right now. <laughs> I what happens is from my point of view, for me, is when I make a dark joke, that is about the worst thing. It's my way. There's two options. I either, there's three. I shut up, which would be what I should have done. I make the joke and then have to explain the context of it. Or I simply do a public service announcement for, can you believe this is happening? And that this, that young people need to be protected. And what a horrible, horrible world we live in where human beings could do this to a child. And that is a sin against God. That's the meaning of the joke. That's what I'm saying. But you don't know, sarcasm, satire. There's so much pain, and so many people have been hurt. It doesn't work anymore. It, it will yeah. again, but maybe not on that level. Not when it comes to sexual abuse and stuff. Not it won't work on that level. But it's like Don Rickles doing his act today. It it wouldn't be the same because he was right. making fun of every nationality, every shade of skin, every religious person. And he still would do anti-Semitic self-loathing jokes, which is another problem, you know, for people. But he got out uh, just in time, though. I wish he was alive because I was close to him and I loved him so much. But, you know, people change, times change. And people know what good people are, I think. You know, a person that professes uh, goodness and you can tell that they're, and they don't look at you creepy while they're professing it, uh, <laughs> are basically, you know, I think noble at heart. I'd like to think that people are, are better than they're being portrayed right now, even though we do have horrific things happening on a much broader level because of the internet because of the world because yeah I, I when you and i met when you were doing smallville i had dial up internet at full house you know yeah it was dial up and i would go into chat rooms on aol i remember going to the 
Sharon Tate house. Yeah, that's Jeff Franklin's. It's not. It's not the house. Uh, they knocked it down and built a new house. Right, but it seems to have the same gates that were on once in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Right, where you can go to the left and go up into that house, or to the right where the third act happens in that movie. Right. It was interesting to see that movie for me in in some ways because I, uh, Stamos and Jeff Franklin threw my 60th birthday party in Jeff's house and uh, and with the band and the Beach Boys played, you know, Mike Love and a bunch of the guys and, and Bruce Johnson. It was really, I got to sing with the band. That's my oh, birthday wish because you're in a band, right? So you you love it, right? Love it. I just love, I just love music. That's it. Me too. Me yeah. too. And I, I do play with a bunch of people. Norman Lear has a thing at his house, used to. Now we do it on Zoom, but we don't really play. Norman was, Lear. Norman creator Lear. of every great show. Norman Lear. You still, you talk to a friend of mine. Oh my gosh. What a... I am. And he is everything you'd want him to be at 98. And he does three shows in production. Oh he said God. he had to sign a three-year contract when he was 97. So that means he has to re up when he's a hundred. <laughs> I mean, that's what we should strive to do. That's what you need to yeah. do is live that long. Well, I you think know? I just want to, I always say it. It's, it sounds so, whatever but when you when you're 80 or whatever however you live and you're on your deathbed you say did i live the life i wanted to live am i proud of the life i lived was i really myself did i find who i was what my you know destiny what fate was did i help other people i hope that when that time comes i could really say because that's it really you don't want to be 80 and go god man i i was just a fuck up who was i doing this all for who was I? What was I wasting? No, my you time? don't. You don't want to do that. And 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 you're already way past that. You're you know you're very self aware, and you're very honest. And your podcast helps people. And the people that are listening right now, there's no fake in this. There's no phoning this in. You know this is being in every moment. So it's a combination of broadcasting and therapy, as you said. It's Thank therapy you. for Thank you. Thank you, Bob. I, I, I've, caught up on all your stuff just like you were forced to catch up on well what stuff. about talk about your podcast because i'm going to be on your podcast so this is a good time yeah, how long have you been very, doing it very soon i've been doing i'm a newbie so i've been doing it for um since february or march so i'm in my almost 70th episode i think and it's um bob saget's here for you some people call it here for you, but there's another podcast called here for so you. so don't go to that so, one no but you can it's probably good but um <laughs> Mark Maron was funny. He was, this is WTF, you know? And he was saying to me, what is this here for you? Are you telling people you're there for them? And I'm like, why would you do that? And I'm like, no, I just, I, it came out before the pandemic, before quarantine. Uh, I titled it because I was out doing stand up, and I was feeling that people are separate. They're, they're just, there's so much, animosity in my audience and my job is to bring them together and have them all have a good laugh no matter what political party religion or race and and just get out of the, and actually here we go i'm talking to norman lear my obi-wan kenobi but my friend and i would i said to him once um you know i get to take people out of their lives for however long my show is, you know, 90 minutes. They're, exactly. That's they're it. With me, they're with me. And I get to take them out. He goes, no, no, 
you bring them into their lives. It's like, thank you. Take the thank you, Norman. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Hey, let- that means that means that you bring them into the moment, and and then yeah. that, that and that's what this is. So I started the podcast, and I call people sometimes. I just have them call a number on my podcast thing, whether it's Apple or Spotify. You know, it's the same as you. Yeah, you're on Stitcher, Snatcher. Pletcher and Snitcher, you know, Snatcher. <laughs> and I think I curse just because it, it's during like a thoughtful moment. I'll just throw some odd thing. I don't in. feel, yeah, that's why I do. I don't feel comfortable. I'm like, I'm being really sincere and vulnerable. Uh, I eat shit. Yes, I, I'm constipated. A, like, come on, rats. dude. Stay in the fucking moment. So, Bob Saget's here for you. It's really about chlamydia. It's really about thing. chlamydia. Please, please listen. He's a, he's a, such a fun guy to listen to and talk to, as you as you could hear today, and, and very honest and open. And uh, I know you guys are gonna like it. Um, I have really quick. These are this is a rapid fire Bob Saget shit talking with Bob Saget. Here we go. These are from fans of my Patreon. Uh, Excellent. Mark A says, "Were you surprised that you weren't asked to appear in How I Met the How I Met Your Mother thing, the reboot?" Well, here's a little surprise for you. I was in the very last episode. Uh, dancing at the wedding and I was removed because it should have been an hour episode and it was only a half hour. So they had to cut up, cut it off. They call me shoe leather when I appear as a cameo and something, they just <laughs> trim it out. But I also narrated the last episode on the DVD set where, and I had Josh Radner on my podcast who played Ted Mosby and I'm the older Ted. And I went, why can't Josh be Ted? And they went, no, no, you're, he's, I said, so he's drink, he drank and smoked for 20 years. So you wanted to make him me, an older <laughs> dude that, that drank and smoked. I didn't do a past tense. Anyway, uh, it was interesting to do that show. And he narrated the last episode, which people got a little ruffled about, but I, I loved it. I thought those Carter and Craig and Pam Fryman, they're brilliant. They made a, Lovely show. That Jennifer, was too long an answer for that. That's all right. We can make the next one shorter. Jennifer S. How hard was keeping the secret of being on the mass singer from your family and friends? It was difficult. It was horrific. I signed an NDA. They signed an NDA. My wife, my oldest daughter, my middle daughter, I didn't sign an NDA because she barely listens what we say to her while we're talking to her. Uh, you know, she's like, oh, daddy, have fun. I hear you're doing a show. And it's like, well, but yeah, but honey, you, you can't tell anybody. Okay, I love you. You know, but, <laughs> but it was, I had a, a, a shirt that said, don't talk to me on it, that they give you a zip up hoodie. And I had on a mask and a visor. That's how I would fly now also and have. And uh, it was quite, quite difficult. My wife just would call me squiggly. And it would say, we'd be on the set, and they'd go, I got Squiggly walking, Squiggly's walking, and I don't know who other people are. I don't know who Jellyfish or Broccoli is. It was an acid <laughs> trip. I never saw anything out of this this giant helmet. And then I would look over and see a, I don't know, mushroom. I'm like, where the hell am I? Steph A, between, you got to answer this honestly, between Candace, Jody, and the Olsen twins, which of the kids did you get along with best? Whoever I was with at the moment, just like my own kids. I'm close, very close with Candace, always was since we did the pilot. Jody used to sleep over my house and play with my daughter, Aubrey, my oldest. Ashley and Mary Kate, I love so much. And when I'm in New York or when they're here, when we can, we see each other. So I can't, there's no favorite. It's just like picking your own kid favorite, but they're all friends. It's not like they're kids. Right. But Jody was probably more like a kid to me. Then Ashley and Mary Kate are more like friends because I kind of got the whole thing of everything they're about. 
and Candace is a friend and she, they've all been there for me. There was a, That's they've been, all been there for me in a big way when I've gone through hard stuff. That's beautiful. Lisa H saw you uh, doing stand up twice. Question statement in regards to your stand up. I love when you break out your guitar and sing along during your live show. Do you prefer the improv singing guitar playing or just the regular bits and jokes? I really love being a new dancer the most, but I, no one comes to that show. So <laughs> I like, um, sometimes when I have the guitar on, I will be nude, but they can't tell that I'm, you know, that I'm out. <laughs> but um, I love all parts of it. I, I kind of kept the structure of my standup, but I'm going to change it more, I think, on my next special when I'm allowed to do one. I'm not going to do a socially distanced special, but I really love standup a lot. I, I get that muscle and that's jokes and improv and stories. And the improv is like jazz. You know, you just go. You just like, it's like when you're playing with your band and you just go. And then uh, the music stuff, I've written some new comedy songs that I think are the best that I ever wrote. So, um, and they're funny and they're poignant, I hope. So I'm, I'm happy with, with I, love, I love the whole thing. That's why it's a package. You know how important it. your package is. Uh, Henry asked, your stand-up persona is much different than your full house persona. You've heard this question, but what is the most interesting comment you've received from a fan who was caught off guard by that? Um, it actually happened on a special I did um, called Zero to Sixty. Um, it was really interesting because I'm kind of at this place of embracing the father image because, you know, obviously you're on a sitcom, you're on a show, Lex Luthor's not you, you know, it's an evil bastard. You're a thoughtful, caring guy trying to figure life out. That's the, kind of the opposite. I don't think people think if you do eight years of something that you are that person, which right. is really weird. Um, but I am part of that. So kind of what's happened for me is I'm, uh, there's a blend of being incredibly considerate about the younger generation and the older, uh, and also loving to be irreverent and say things that are like, what the, did he say that? Oh God, that, or just they laugh because it's fast. I try to do things, right. I like fast humor too sometimes. But I did a thing at the end of this special, zero to 60, and someone, they were applauding, someone goes, we love you, Bob. I go, thank you, I love you too. This is in the special, uh, we put it in. And some guy goes, we need you, Bob. And that just stopped me. It stopped me because it's like a sense of purpose. And, and, and I went, well, as long as you need me, I'll be there. It was kind of a Batman statement, you know? It was wow. like, you know, the Michael Keaton mantra of Batman. And when I said that, they just started to applaud, and it was so moving for, for, for me that I know it was moving for them because I could see them moving. They were leaving. <laughs> But um, <laughs> but it's really, that is, so, when people say, oh, my fans, I love my fans, it's just, I don't even call them fans. I call it people that get what I do when I'm performing and appreciate it, or I made them feel good. So I don't look at things as being famous or having fans or being a celebrity. All those are like disgusting words to me. Right. Unless they're done right and it's a big check. But otherwise... You know, it's just nice to have that exchange with an audience, no matter what you do as a performer. Emily asks, what's your reaction or what was your reaction when they decided to bring back Full House on Netflix? Oh, this will be the first short answer for you. Um, I, I actually was not surprised because John Stamos and Jeff Franklin have been trying for years. And um, I, I just thought this will be interesting because everything else was getting rebooted. 
and people want that. They want that familiar feeling again. Um, and I thought they did a really nice job and Netflix did a great job launching it. And it was on six years, but when I first found out I was, um, I was happy. I, I would get to play with everybody and we weren't there all the time. John, Dave, Lori, and I would do like three or four episodes a season. That's how it worked. Maisha says, do you have any stories from uh, working with Richard Pryor, critical condition? What was that like? I have a lot. Um, the fun one is that there was a, uh, a body being wheeled past us because Richard was pretending he was a doctor in a hospital near, uh, he escaped from Rutgers Island and he washes ashore at a hospital and pretends he's a doctor to be, you know, to not get arrested. He doesn't know anything about medicine and I'm a young doctor. So they wheeled this body by us and it's an actor um, covered in water and he's dead. And Richard, I was supposed to say a few lines. I was supposed to say like, oh, the, they found him in the drink after the storm, couldn't get the water out of his lungs. It went on one sentence too long. And the director was Michael Apted, an amazing director and a, a beautiful guy, right? So we had 40 takes because I couldn't say it to Richard because it's, and it's a lot of extras around. And I looked in, the, in some of the major cast in the thing and I'm looking into Richard's face and I'm telling him, cause he says, what happened to this guy? And I, he's lost him in the drink. You know, his lungs are full of water or something. And every time I'm, it, it hit me. It, I just didn't stay in character at that moment and realized, holy shit, you're, you're talking to Richard Pryor. And, and his face just made me laugh. I, I couldn't <laughs> help it because he was so earnest, you know, that sweet face that he would make. Yeah. What happened and to that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good impression. I didn't really try to do that. I just, but I could see it. I could feel like what he does that we love so much. That innocent, like, and, and, whoa. And he, oh, wait, I, I can't do an impression of him. It's funny because Dave Coulier, who was on Full House, was in, is an amazing impressionist. And in that movie, Critical Condition, Richard wouldn't go in to do the TV friendly version and take out the curse words. And they couldn't, they really wanted a black actor to, be, to do it. But nobody did a better impression of Richard than Dave Coulier and this French-Canadian kid from Detroit. So they brought Dave in, and Dave looped Richard's lines for the TV version. Oh, my God. All right, this is very good. This is the final question, but it's not even a question. Leanne, that was my short answer. I love that. Oh, my God. Anything with Richard Pryor. Leanne P. just wants to say, love your podcast. It was great talking to you on the phone. You're really there for your listeners. And made my day a lot better by just talking to me. Thank you for that. I really appreciate you. You are a true mensch. That's really sweet. I remember her. Um, yeah, people are, as you say about your podcast, they're looking for some solace. And it's, you know, you, it was the days of free radio where you'd go and you listen to talk radio and people would call in and say, I'm upset about this. And it still exists. You'll have someone, and you know, they'll have 100,000 listeners if they're doing okay. But with this, you can wind up with hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And you look at Joe Rogan, that's an empire where it's, and, and that's, that's kind of the size of the Johnny Carson audience. But, you know, you know it's, it's the whole country. These podcasts have really helped a lot of people. So um, I'm not doing it. Some people are doing it. Oh, I can't shoot my shows. So I'm, or I can't make my movie yeah, right now. Yeah. So I'm going to do a podcast. And they do it for, a few months and then, Oh, I'm going to stop doing it. Cause I'm going to go shoot this movie. If 
I have a thing I'm planning to direct. If I'm out directing, my board is coming with me. My podcast board's going. I'm not going to not do this. Right. This is um, really special to me. I know yours is. You're, you're wonderful on yours. Ah, uh, thank you. I, I do. I, I fell in love with it. At first, I didn't know really why I was doing it. And then all of a sudden, you start to realize it, it not only helps you, but it's helping other people. And it just beca- it definitely has become a passion. And I didn't expect it. And that's, it's funny how the hand of fate kind of takes you sometimes, you know? It, you know, and that's what I've learned in therapy, uh, in therapy, therapy, um, which I say twice. <laughs> it's an OCD thing. <laughs> but uh, Charlie Babbitt burnt the toast. But uh, I, I would, my therapist taught me something really smart. And he said, what's the thing that you think you do best in your life? I said, well, I'd like to think it's being a dad. He said, well, take everything else that you do in your life and bring it up to that level. Somehow put that much love and attention and compassion and passion into into all different kinds of work. And I think you'll agree with me that doing a podcast, doing a broadcast, doing a show, it could be free radio, it could be a television show, is we need it. We need it it's an exchange program, but I know it does a lot for me personally and it brings up your higher self and you, then the rest of your day, it's like a tent pole for your day. And I'll go to dinner and I'll, I'll say to my wife, I'll go to dinner a hundred feet away. And I'll (laughs) say to my wife, you know, I just had the best talk with Michael Rosenbaum. I I had such a nice talk. Um, You're going to want to listen to that. And that's like saying I just saw a friend and yeah. I loved being with that friend. Or you were on, you know, I, I was on David Letterman last night and boy, I really had a connection with him last night. And that's unusual. And that felt great. That's the word, man. Connection. Absolutely. When you can yeah. connect to who you're listening to and it's just, uh, it's good all around. And it, it, it does give you purpose. Like I feel like this gives me purpose. Absolutely. Listen, it man, does. your podcast, Bob Saget's here for you. It doesn't necessarily mean Bob's there for you, but he is there. It's more proverbial. It's some place to go to listen and just get away and enjoy. And it's it, it will become part of you. Thank you. That was the sweetest plug I've had since prison. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, dude, I love you. I can't wait to be on your podcast. Thanks I can't for- wait either. It's going to be, we're going to go nuts. We will. Something crazy is going to happen. I, I can't I got wait. all kinds of things I want to know from you. Uh, well, you'll, you, I'm sure you, you will dig deep, my friend. Just be careful. <laughs> be careful. I'm constipated. Thank, <laughs> thank you for allowing me to be inside of you, my friend. Bob, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for letting me be inside of you. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Just a great guy. Yeah. And he's worth a lot of money. I mean, he's worth... That's the important thing. No, I said good guy first, and he's worth a lot of money. Uh-huh. I mean, sometimes you ever go to those things where it says net worth, and you're like, okay, they're an exaggeration, but still, anybody who they exaggerate that has more than $20 million, he's pretty humble for a $20 million person. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I always liked Bob. He was just always very genuine and sweet and smart, and even to this day, you know, I get texts from him saying, you know, uh, how you doing, or just nice little notes, and he, he's a busy guy. He doesn't have to do that, but I, I really respect you, Bob, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And once again, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, please uh, please subscribe. Ryan? Uh, at oh, <clears throat> uh, YouTube.com slash Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. That's true. And you can go to the handles and follow us on at inside of you podcast on uh, Facebook Mm -hmm. and at inside of you pod on Twitter and Instagram. Also my band sunspin at sunspin band. And you can go to sunspin.com 
get all the merch, book us as a band. Somebody already booked us in LA for a picnic, an outside picnic where we play a, a little concert nice. and you could get zooms from us. And, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff. Um, so, uh, thank you to everybody who supported the album. My patrons, you're the reason I, I did an album. I mean, you're a big part of it and you, you got it done. So thank you. Thank you for coming to stage it and a real big announcement stage it. Uh, we, are, we will be performing again, February, the last Saturday, uh, of the month. I believe it's the 27th of February, 2 PM and a 6 PM show. Get tickets now at stageit.com. You can also get them at sunspin.com and uh, fill it up it's a big family it's a lot of fun we play covers we play songs from the album and uh, it's just a big party so uh i should probably read the uh, lovely patrons big shout outs to my patrons i love you so much thank you this is nancy d this is mary b leah s trisha f sarah v little lisa yukiko jill e brian h lauren g nico p robin s hey jerry w how are you robin i jason w Stephen J, Kristen K, Amelia O, Allison L, Jess J, Lucas M, Raj C, Joshua D, Emily S, CJP, Samantha M, Jennifer N, Stacy L, Carly H, Jen S, Jen S, Jen S, Janelle B, Carrie B, Tabitha two seventy two, not to be confused with uh, Tabitha two seventy three. I just sent a bunch of merch boxes too from the patrons, and if you join Patreon at patreon.com slash inside of you. I message you right away and you support the show even more. I love you. Ashley, Ryan, Kimberly, e, Mike, E, Marissa, and El Don Supremo, Dan, Jack S, Slater, Ramira, Beth B, Santiago, M, Sarah F, Chad W, Leanne P, Roshan, Roshan, Roshan. I always mess it up. Roshan R, Ray A, Maya P, Maisha C, Maisha, Maddie, Maddie S, Kendrick F, Ashley E, Shannon D, Matt W, Belinda N, Kevin V, James R, Chris H, Anusha W, Osborne. 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 H. Love you, Osborne. Amy C. Dave H. Samantha S. Spider Man Chase. Sheila G. Not to be confused with. Sheila E. Yes. Ray H. Arada. Alyssa C. Tabitha T. Misha H. Deb A. Tom N. Suzanne B. Henry S. Katie F. Almost done here. Oh my God, there's a lot. There is a lot. These are people who are of great importance. Liliana A. Hi, Liliana. We zoomed a few times last week. Michelle K. We zoomed. Marcus. Marcus, because he can. Marcus W. Hannah B. Michael S. Talia M. Luke H. John S. Andrew T. Christy S. Claire M. Liz J. Laura L. Chad B. Uh, Rachel E. Nathan E. Brandel. Taylor K. Neil A. Marion and Meg K. Welcome to all the new patrons. I love you. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Bob was very interesting and fun. Did you enjoy it, Ryan? I did. Yeah, he, he was fun. He was very open. Uh, thanks for listening. I love each and every one of you. I hope you have a wonderful week. And uh, thanks for starting the week off with uh, yours truly. From Ryan and myself here in the Hollywood Hills. Thanks <laughs> for uh, allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you. I love you guys. Thank you. Rainy days, they have their charm. But there's no calm before the storm. We're staring down. Staring down the barrel of a gun. <laughs>
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.